Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Dear God, I'm so constantly confronted with my inadequacies to do what you've called me to do, to minister and to preach. So God, I pray that your spirit would be present here this morning, that you would guide my thinking and my speaking and say something true and good and beautiful and helpful this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I've been watching videos of angel encounters on YouTube. There are tons of testimonies of people witnessing to experiences that they've had with angels, especially in the comments section of of these videos. And it's folks, you can, you can, they're just so interesting. The way they type and the way they express themselves. It's like, where are these people? Where do these people come from? And what kinds of experiences do they have? But for them, it's very real, right? And it's something very common, actually, when you start looking into it. There's so many people that believe that they've had an experience with an angel. But there's something that's interesting about the shape that those stories so often take. And there's a video, if we have it queued up, that I just want to play real quick to give you, to like kind of take us into that. (laughs) So did you catch that? So it's like this guy's just chilling out in front of his shop or whatever, and then some other random guy comes up and taps him on the shoulder, and then he, he turns the opposite way, which is weird, but then he avoids this like swinging gate that seems like it would mess him up pretty good. Crazy, right? So a bunch of people, I've seen this posted in so many places, like on Reddit, Twitter, YouTube, whatever, and the caption on that video isn't like an angel, but typically that's what the caption is, that this is some sort of guardian angel protecting this guy, and we've captured it on camera. But so what's so fascinating about it is that in this instance and in most, the angel isn't some robe-wearing, winged, glowing apparition. There are those accounts, but most of the time, by far, what I hear people saying is that a very common-looking person arrived out of no fanfare, no clouds bursting open, no beams of light or trumpets from heaven, but just a normal-seeming person who speaks an impossibly revealing word or intervenes in a desperate situation, leading someone out of the woods or helping them when their car is broken down in the middle of nowhere, averting disaster somehow. Now, I don't know if these folks' perceptions are accurate. I don't know if these were really angels or if angels of that kind exist at all. Not invested either way. But there's something here in this, in these ideas about angels that I find deeply significant and even urgent. It's so interesting to me how many of the biblical angel encounters how similar they are to what I've just described, this Genesis 18 text that we just read. 
It says that Abraham sees three people approaching him, and they're not described as distinctive in any way or having some kind of angelic glow or presenting in an unusual way. Yet Abraham greets the three of them, the three of them, with the singular, my Lord. And then they all answer him in unison, the three of them, with one voice, they all ask together, where is your wife Sarah? And at another point, only one of them talks. As the story progresses, it doesn't say, they said to Abraham, but the Lord said to Abraham. And we're to understand that these characters, the ones doing the speaking, are the Lord. God isn't a fourth person who shows up, but is somehow manifest in the three visitors. And then the three visitors turn their attention towards Sodom, intending to go down. And the Lord speaks, saying that he intends to go down to Sodom. Abraham protests God's judgment of Sodom, which he does by speaking to these visitors. So there's this uncanny translation or interfacing between these three visitors and God. There's somehow three and distinct. There's a point when it says only one of them is speaking, but they usually all speak together and it's received as the Lord's voice. There's somehow human visitors who eat like humans do, who speak with human voices and walk where they're going, but they're also the Lord doesn't make any sense. But there's a theological rationale for this mystery, as Christian interpreters have seen this as an example of the Trinity. So Ambrose, one of the church fathers from the fourth century, he writes this, says, Abraham, who was glad to receive strangers, faithful to God and tireless in his service and prompt in fulfilling his duty, saw the Trinity typified. He added religious devotion to hospitality. For although he beheld three, he adored one. And while keeping a distinction of the persons, yet he called one Lord, thus giving honor to the three, but signifying one power. So, God shows up in the form of normal-seeming, nondescript humans. And the, and the test of it is, the whole point of this story is, whether or not Abraham will be hospitable to them. It's a kind of surprise evaluation of his character as God arrives in human form to see how Abraham treats the stranger. And this makes so much sense when we see this connection to Sodom and Gomorrah, a story which has, of course, been totally wrested from its biblical context for a homophobic agenda. But the actual sin of Sodom has nothing to do with sexual orientation but with inhospitality as a foil to Abraham's hospitality. That's what Ezekiel 16:49 leads us into. He says, "Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Themselves were strangers in Egypt. And God arrives to test Abraham's hospitality, and he passes, and then God goes down to Sodom to test them and is met with violence. And that is their failure and their sin. It's the way they mistreat the stranger, who is also God, which earns them fire and brimstone. How careful we ought to be then when we encounter someone in the world that we presume to be common and therefore insignificant when they are perhaps God themself. 
There are more stories like this. In Judges 6, Gideon has an entire conversation with a guy, like he's just some dude, and then he realizes that he's the angel of the Lord. And then Gideon says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon was looking into the face of someone that he thought was common. Because there were no beams of light and no halo signaling the holiness of this person. But then it's revealed that this common person is the angel of the Lord who also speaks as the Lord. How careful we ought to be then when we encounter someone in the world that we presume to be common and therefore insignificant when they are perhaps God themselves. In Judges 11, someone appears to the parents of Samson and the text says, before it's revealed who the angel of the Lord is, it says, the angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. Again, Someone who appears common is actually an angel and somehow also God themselves. How careful we ought to be then when we encounter someone in the world that we presume to be common and therefore insignificant when they may be God themselves. Christian interpreters have seen in these encounters prefigurations of Christ. This human who appears to be human and always like us, who is human, in fact, but is also God. We might be tempted to think that these tests of our hospitality are resigned to old scripture. That Jesus was a singular person who existed and is now gone, and we don't need to worry that our capacity for hospitality will be evaluated but Jesus says in Matthew 25 that he is the poor and the sick and the incarcerated and the naked. What we do or don't do to them, we do or don't do to God. So every day we live through precisely the same test that Abraham did, that Sodom did, that Gideon and Samson's parents did, that the people who encountered Christ in the first century did. Every person we meet is not only potentially God testing our hospitality, but is God testing our hospitality. Jesus gave the game away. He said there's no secret, there's no undercover boss, there's no one to suspect of being an angel in disguise. God is every person who makes a demand on our hospitality. If our spiritual eyes were open, we would see them transform before us 
into the terrifying vision of an angel and we would fall on our faces afraid for our lives, afraid for having seen the face of God and a perfect stranger. So do angels exist? Yes. And we meet them every day. And they come not usually as guardians or protectors, but they come making demands of us. They come to see firsthand whether or not we are loving God and neighbor. Kind of kills me that I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis, but I'm going to. This is a good, it's a good quote. He said, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. So I think he's right in a sense in that we ought to honor what is immortal in one another, but I also think that we should honor what is mortal. I think we should take seriously that we are people who die. And that reality makes the need for hospitality even more urgent. I don't know if there's some hereafter where we can make up for the ways in which we've dishonored the stranger. All I know is, is that we have now. And that people who suffer and die and who will be gone like a breath come in through those doors and deserve everything we have during their one precious and painful life. Can we learn to see one another like that? Each of us brimming over with divinity and spirit, immortal and also facing death. Sharing all that we have with one another in perfect hospitality. I've heard the histories of people here, of people who had the capacity to make you feel the God in you in a way that they welcomed you, in a way that they greeted you. This is our history. Every visitor who comes here is God doing a hospitality audit. And that's not a committee's job, that's all our responsibility. There's a bystander effect that can happen in churches. We figure someone else will reach out to those visitors or we show up with a consumerist attitude, right? Waiting for someone to minister to us. When it's actually so often the case that it's in our own practice of ministry that we're healed. Friends, God shows up as angels that are human just like you and I and there is an unavoidable demand that we attend to them with a kind of welcome befitting of Christ himself. So let's each of us individually and as a community avoid the fate of Sodom by embracing the stranger. In practical ways, right? I mean, go, go up to them, talk to them, invite them out for coffee or over for dinner or lunch after church. Hear their stories, invest in relationship with them. In this way, we honor Christ who arrives among us as these strangers. We're meeting this weekend to discuss membership and fellowship, to think seriously and practically about how to deepen our capacity for welcome and hospitality here at First Church. We'd love for us all to be part of that. But whether or not you can be there for the meeting, I ask that you buy into a new level of welcome, 
a form of community care, giving of yourself to making this place a sanctuary, a warmth, an antidote to the alienation and judgment that people feel in the world out there. Because this is all we have, loved ones. Just one another. If we can't be kind to one another, if we can't take care of one another, if we can't interrupt the bone-deep loneliness and isolation that the world leads us into, there's nowhere else to go. We are the people committed to that project, and we can't fail. And we will not fail because this place lives because of the love of generations. Because common angels met common angels and found family in one another. Because the Spirit of God is here and has made a promise and assigned us a responsibility that our forebears have seen through. So let's carry that history forward, loved ones. And let's go deeper. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.